0: Hey y'all, we're back. I know, but it's time. It's time for you to, well, take this vow with us. Take a vow where we commit to giving you all the details, holding nothing back, being authentically unhinged while sober and free, healing of our wounds and open about our life lessons and many blessings because of, well, these deep, unfiltered, unscripted conversations full of therapy and life lessons and realness that a group of chosen friends turned family say yes, for better or for worse. So I do want to welcome you to come in, have a seat at the table with me, your host, the same old G. G. Family, it's your girl, G, and y'all know what that means. It's Friday, and technically, we're back at the table, but I'm not gonna lie to (laughs) y'all. I'm actually traveling. I'm on the road, Um, but if I actually post this episode, just know Facebook heard it first, but y'all got the scoop recorded first. (laughs) And I want to address this by saying, I'm not blowing smoke up anybody's behind. I'm not even trying to throw people under the bus. But I've just genuinely had enough of so many women and men who have become widows and widowers. Feeling like they didn't have a place to escape, to talk, to feel heard, to be seen, to be loved the same way as if their loved one hadn't passed away. And so this entire episode, which possibly could turn into a series, is really based upon the fact of one text message that I received earlier this week. Earlier this week, I received a text message from someone that I hold dear to me reaching out on behalf of a loved one who had just lost a spouse a month ago. They have two children under the age of four. They're very, very young. And although life is going on for everyone else, this sweet queen mom, daughter, friend feels like she can't be heard. She's lost. She's not really sure where to turn, where to go. And just finding comfort in knowing that there's other people out there within the same lifestyle that she lives, that has experienced what she's experiencing, breaks my heart because so many of them haven't in my opinion, use their voice the way that they should have or should be. And I don't mean that in a bad way because I understand that unlike myself, some people are not good with words or expressing their feelings or showing up in the middle of their own adversities to show people how to overcome. And so I want to bring attention to the orphans and the widows. The Bible talks about how if you take care of the orphans and the widows, your storehouses will remain full, and how that God commands us to make sure that the orphan and the widows are not left behind. And in a very unorthodox, non-traditional sense, it's partially safe to say that Moses was the first orphan who really showed us what it was like to be the outcast and be thrown away to save and deliver the people who will envy you later. The people that will mark you, the people that will celebrate you then want you killed. And even though Moses still had his sister and his mother... To a broken world, if you didn't know the story, it would be safe to say that you would assume that he was an orphan since he was found in the river. And there's something about being found in the water because when you're found there, what they hold, everything about your past is no longer because the water is so cleansing And so I'll start by saying that I think that if you haven't learned to process the tears and let your body cleanse itself naturally from the inside out, as an orphan or a widow, you yourself are doing more damage, more harm than good. Over the last almost year, I have privately but publicly lived out The reality that losing my best friend, my husband, and sharing that journey hasn't been necessarily easy. It hasn't even been pretty. It's been full of a lot of hard work for myself, for my kids, navigating family roles, navigating how to still adjust with family when the one thing that you want, you can't sit at the table with. John and I were always very honest about how we lived our lives in private and in public. We were also very intentional with sharing our, our love in front of our kids. We were also very intentional with sharing marriage and life with our friends. And having real raw and uncut, unfiltered conversations. So I think that it's safe for me to say that if you know me personally, that it's not... It doesn't catch you off guard watching me move on, but move on with gratitude and the utmost respect for him. A friend of mine told me that, you know, sharing my story is healing for some but it's also a wake-up call for the people on the other end who have also lost because realistically in this lane of grief it is easy to misconstrue the concept that only the person who was the spouse has lost something and everyone else's feelings are invalid And that's not true because everyone lost something. Someone lost a son. Someone lost a daughter. Someone lost a brother, a sister, a father, a mom, a name, a legacy, a future. But all of those people share a good memory. And although the memories may fade and they may end up tarnished they still belong to us all simultaneously at the same time. And as I've walked this journey, I have found out and realized that if I'm honest, I feel like the church has really left the orphan and the widow to try to figure out this thing called life alone. I'm not talking about my personal journey because my church has been freaking phenomenal. They have championed me. They have rallied me. They have held my hand, wiped my tears, held my babies, allowed me space to breathe, allowed me space to ask hard questions, and allowed me to just be real raw and not churched, if that makes sense. I didn't have to show up 100% put together for them to still say it's okay to just say what you need to say with no filter. I was telling this young girl that I hope to God that someone in her corner is telling her it's okay if you go scream, yell, and cry and ask God hard questions. He's not asking for you to come perfect. He's asking you to show him what matters to you. So he can meet you where you're at. Because I think we think that God believes that if we show up to him perfect, then our request will be made known faster. And that's so not true. He's a sovereign God and a real gentleman. He holds you tight, but softly holds your hand. He applies pressure, but at the same time gives you sweet kisses And I think that if we really looked at him as a friend rather than a master, we'd understand that going to him is easy. It's not contradictory. And so as I began to have this conversation with her, you know, she began to ask me questions. And one of the questions that she asked me was one that I remember vividly that morning when my husband passed away. And she said, "I just don't know how to erase the memory. How did you do it?" And so I quickly said to her, "Are you talking about the memory at 7:15 when my daughter was saying that she needed her dad to tie her shoe?" And at 7:16 I told her to ask him again. And at 7:16 her response was, "But Mommy, I've asked him and he's not moving." Or is it at 7.18 when I screamed and yelled for him to move and I sent my children across the street to bang on my neighbor's door and to not come home until I got them? Or is it the memory at 7.27 as I'm standing in the hallway of despair and faith reminding hell that I will not quit but also screaming at God that I have nurtured his church I've taken care of his people I've stood in the gap for them why did he make this happen for me or maybe it was at eight eighteen when the doctor of 30 years looked at me and said Miss Simmons I don't have an answer I've ran every test I have literally done everything that I can do. But as a Christian man, the only thing I can tell you is when your husband knelt down to tie his shoe, he heard God calling, not you or his daughter. And as she picked up her phone and called me because texting no longer was beneficial, as she cried on the phone, I told her, there's nothing you can do to erase the memory. Because unfortunately, the reality is, you will hear it every day. How you choose to cope with it is the blessing. And so, we begin to talk about the morning for her and what that looks like. And I remember saying something along the lines like, it's okay if you choose to not show up for people. It's okay to tell the family that you can't show up at their house right now. It's okay to make your baby sleep in the bed with you because right now you're uncomfortable. It's okay to tell people that you can't show up for them because you don't even know how to show up for you. It's okay to go get a therapist and still love Jesus. It's okay if you don't wanna hold the phone It's okay if you feel like you just have to cry until it feels good, until you've lost your breath so you can really realize that you still have breath in your lungs. See, here's one thing that I've realized in this journey is that we as humans don't understand how much grief can take a toll on your body, your physical body, not just your mental aspect, your physical body. You can harbor the pain and store it in your bones and in your joints and in your organs. And until you actually release it, you never realize how much pain you were actually holding. The body is a really beautiful tool. God intended this body to be a vessel. And I think that if it it was meant to be a vessel, then vessels hold things. They store goods. They are ready for battle when battle approaches. But what we don't remember is when the battle is within us that oftentimes we often lose because we don't know how to release the battle within us. So I have done the hard work. I'm now preparing tables for the orphan and the widows because it was brought to my attention that a lot of orphans and widows never share their story until they find another orphan or until they find another widow. But I wonder if we start telling our stories every day to just the average stranger, how much more free would people become? Because I think that if we begin to tell our story to everyday people, we'll realize that everyday people want to be present for us. They're just not sure how to be present because somewhere we forgot to tell them that they don't have to ask us how we're doing they don't need to say what do you need they truly just need to say can i be here can i bring you dinner can i send something for the kids to play with see we forget etiquette when it comes to grief we forget posture when it comes to still loving people and we also forget how to tell people that we see them even when things are uncomfortable i've learned a lot in the last year i've learned that i know how to be soft (laughs) i know how to be vulnerable i'm working on how to really Use my words in a way that doesn't hurt people but still show them that I'm standing on my business. I've also learned how to say no more. I've learned how to carry the weight that belongs to me rather than picking up everyone's weight and trying to navigate how I disperse it or distribute it within myself. I've learned a posture of gratitude that I feel like if until you've lost at this level, you may not be able to comprehend. I've also learned that within this last year that family sometimes can make the hardest trauma more difficult because their lack of understanding or wanting to understand. I've also learned that sometimes, our biological families become the very people that pain us the most. They forget what it's like to know someone. They forget what it's like to feel the pain. They forget what it was like when they showed up to your house, or maybe didn't show up to your house in a moment that you needed them the most. But because of your brokenness in the moment, them not being there was enough for them to think that you didn't want them there because you couldn't find the words to say, I need you. But what I also realized about family is sometimes family are those people who you quickly try to throw away over and over and over and over again because they've done life with you for so long. They started out as friends and they really became family. And because you don't want them to feel burdened with your pain, you try to throw them away and they keep showing up. And best blessing is knowing that in a lot of situations over the last year when my real biological family forgot to just show up God really did have a family already prepared, lined up for me I'm humbled that I get to share my story. I am graced to share my story in a way that I hope brings light to the situation for so many widows and orphans. Or maybe even people who know people that they don't know the words, but listening to podcast episodes or having conversations with me in public allows them the space and hope to ask questions of how they can be there for their family. Bless that prayerfully in by February or March a book that was a labor of love will give a lot of people answers whether they're married divorced waiting to be married engaged or simply just wanting to understand a perspective of love from a father to a child a bride and a groom family and church I believe that when we actually sit down and let people pour out their hearts and if you actually take your time to listen with your eyes listen with your nose listen with your ears, listen with your body, that a lot of times people will actually say what they're trying to say if they can't find the words within their body language, with the fidgeting of their hands, with the flaring of their nose, the distant glaze looking past you, the way they touch their ears, the way they toss their hair, touch their beard, Or maybe even smoking a cigar, holding a cup of coffee over dinner. If we're not careful, we'll prematurely write off the widow or the orphan because it's too much for us to individually handle. But if we sat at the table long enough and watched them pour out their heart, the tools to build the rest of the table that we should help them prepare in the presence of their enemies, they will provide. The real question is, will we be there to help them leverage the table make it sturdy so when their hands get weak when their body is tired they can sit in it stand on it rest at it eat from it breathe in it I'm not sure who you're gonna meet I'm not sure where you're gonna meet them And I'm not sure what their story will look like by the time you show up on the scene. But I hope that if you're careful enough and alert and attentive, that by the time they spill the first sentence of I have no hope and I don't know what to do, that you've equipped your arsenal bag and your weapons Enough to tell them, I got you. So no matter what it looks like, no matter how hard their nights become, the gentle reminder that they can still get up every single day and choose to maneuver in grace rather than pain, in faith rather than unbelief, in trusting God rather than walking away from Him is because of people like you and I who reminded them that there was still a sovereign God who loved them infectiously, who parades and tells the Father, look at my child, they're still going. They haven't lost hope in us. That's what I hope that they realize when they meet people like you and I. My, my. for better or for worse i'm committed to bringing back real conversations into our homes around our kitchen tables where laughter explodes and sometimes tears may have to fall but healing is inevitable and new growth is rooted in the authenticity of becoming better better communicators better friends better spouses well i guess well-rounded people all together so that the legacies our children and grandchildren carry are the ones that we vowed to use our voices in our homes. You may not be ready to pull up to my door, but just know, I will always vow to have an open space that you can always come sit and dwell in. If it means you leave better than when you showed up, it's not bye, it's see you later. Cause there's always room and time for you to come in and have a seat with me.